Good morning. It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, June 22, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy, and this is Raven News. Sitka has been awarded a bronze-level designation in the Walk-Friendly Communities Program again. The organization gave Sitka the bronze for the third time in nine years. The first year was 2013, and Sitka remains the only community in Alaska to have earned the bronze designation. Juno has honorable mention status. The Walk-Friendly Communities Program is coordinated by the Pedestrian and Bicycle Information Center, or PBIC, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. On its website, the PBIC states that Sitka's bronze level is due to its, quote, consistently high walking mode share and low crash rate, exceptional trail system, and community support for walking initiatives and events. The number of recognized communities is surprisingly small. Other cities named on June 21st include platinum-level designations for Arlington County, Virginia, and New York City. Four cities were given gold, there were four silvers awarded, and Sitka was among the 13 bronzes. Search Health Educator Doug Osborne helped coordinate the effort to make Sitka a walk-and-bike-friendly town, and Charles Bingham wrote the application for Sitka's three walk-friendly designations. Sitka's bronze-level status will last through 2027. The city of Yakutat reported 12 new coronavirus cases since Monday. The new cases bring Yakutat's total active cases to 14. All cases are in local residents. 12 were symptomatic at the time of testing, and 2 were asymptomatic. 11 cases are attributable to community spread, and 3 are associated with recent travel outside the community. Out in the middle of Frederick Sound, where it intersects with Stevens Passage, is a tiny island. It's thin and jagged and shaped a bit like a ship. It holds the first manned lighthouse in Alaska, Five Finger Lighthouse. The light itself is automated these days, but the buildings are kept up by volunteers. One couple, Pat and John Gans, is spending six months living at the remote spot this year, and one of their duties is welcoming visitors and sharing some of the charm and history. Pat Gans took KFSK's Catherine Monahan on a recent tour. Five Finger Lighthouse was built in uh, 1902 originally. And we were put here because this can be a treacherous waterway. And there was a gold rush in the Klondike and many, many boats were coming up through Alaska to get to that gold and everyone was in a hurry. And there were a lot of fatalities in this area. So Congress decided to put in these two lights. And at times, actually, the conditions out here get so rigorous that in the logbook, the lighthouse team talks about the lighthouse being capped in ice and that they could neither get in nor out. So it could get tough for them. And there's stories about the, the guys from the lighthouse rowing out to passing ships and begging for food. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, in 1933, it burned down. The guys here, their water pipes had frozen up and they had taken a torch to try to uh, thaw out the water pipes. And so the wood behind the water pipes caught a fire and then the pipes were frozen still so they didn't have any water to put it out and the entire structure burned down sadly. And then in 1935, the, this new cement lighthouse was finished. 
this is the door to the tower. So this is a big old hefty door and you're gonna hear it pull open with a whoosh and then we'll start up the stairs. <laughs> so we're going up higher and higher. The view is getting more and more spectacular. We're, at the, we're just below the light now at this little landing. This staircase is super solid. It's very, very steep, so you're going to need two hands okay. to climb it, okay? And here we are. <laughs> we're on top it's, of the world. It's so much warmer up here. Yeah, because we're surrounded by these windows. So we're in the cupola, and this behind you is the light. It almost looks like coils, eight coils stacked on each other, clear plexiglass and it's only about um, maybe a foot and a half tall and a foot in diameter. It's light sensitive so it comes on on its own at night when it gets dark enough, flashes every 10 seconds and can be seen for 18 miles. In the cupola you can get a sense of why it's named Five Finger Island. So we're kind of like if you hold your right hand up we are kind of like the thumb. And then there's four unnamed islands out there. Those are the four fingers. So this was such a treacherous stretch of water because the tide would go up and down and it would hide the obstacles. And the old sailors, the story was that in this area, there was a hand that came up from the depths, a giant hand, and would grab ships and pull them asunder. So Five Finger Islands was, you know, it was a scary name. <laughs> a place to respect. The lighthouse is now owned and maintained by the Five Finger Lighthouse Society. The nonprofit relies on volunteers like Pat Gans to help preserve the historic structure. Are Southeast Alaska tribes' traditional values inherently religious? That's a question Ketchikan's school board is scheduled to tackle on Wednesday. A parent is asking the board to review the school district's use of a document outlining 14 values promoted by Native leaders. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, school district officials say the Southeast traditional tribal values are an important part of students' cultural education, not a religious statement. Patience, respect for nature, speaking with care, and humor. Those are some of the values put together by Southeast Alaska tribal elders in 2004. They're taught in some Ketchikan schools as part of the cultural curriculum. But one of the values, reverence for our creator, has some Ketchikan residents convinced that the school district is promoting religious beliefs in violation of the First Amendment. Justin Brees filed a request for the district to review the values on April 6th. He spoke at a school board meeting about the topic later that month. I feel that one of the values, reverence for our creators, is undeniably a religious statement about creationism. At that meeting, Brees said he believed in cultural education in the schools, but the Southeast traditional tribal values was not the right avenue. My concern is, is that these aren't being included as any kind of lesson. These are just a posting that's made in every classroom in the school district, as far as I know. And I'd like some kind of direction to the superintendent to have it removed and maybe come up with a better plan. School district officials denied the request. Business manager Katie Parrott signed a determination last month that found the values did not promote any particular religion. Former Ketchikan Indian community president and current tribal council member Gloria Burns says the term creator isn't about worship. It's acknowledging, you know, the, 
the strength of, of the mountain and your responsibility to it. Burns says it is more about how the individual connects to the things around them. Imperfect. There is no, uh, there's no way in English um, to say that with just one snapshot or word. Brees has appealed the school district's ruling. School board president Stephen Bradford says the appeals process is required by the board's bylaws. And we could uh, either affirm or reject the conclusion of staff. The board is scheduled to take up the question on Wednesday. If the board agrees with Brees, they'll determine what to do about the Southeast Traditional Tribal Values Program at a later date. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The Zach Gordon Youth Center is a special place for Juno's queer kids. This was the third year the center has hosted a youth pride party. It's one of the events that kicks off Pride Month in Juneau. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry has that story. It's been a tough couple of years for the LGBTQ plus youth that come by Juno's Zach Gordon Youth Center. We have seen just significant struggles with mental health. Like kids that are struggling to stay in school, they're struggling to like maintain relationships and like take care of themselves. Um, and I think kids are just living through some really dark stuff. And they're really doing their best, but like it's rough out there. Tai Shea is a program coordinator for the center. About 65 kids are here for the party. They have pride flags painted across their faces or draped across their shoulders. They enter through a rainbow balloon arch over the front door. Games and dancing await after they pass through. This event comes during a slew of anti-trans legislation nationwide, including a bill in Alaska that would have banned trans girls from playing on girls' sports teams had it passed. I think it is important to acknowledge that like, the general messaging in the world right now is not super inclusive to trans youth in particular. And even if it doesn't directly impact these kids, like even if the trans kids we're seeing are not in sports or whatever, like that is still super harsh messaging to hear. Lee Orozco has a non-binary heart sticker on their face. We need a lot more safe spaces uh, for queer people in Juneau, especially for children, because most, most, like year-round, most of the queer spaces are like for adults because they're like drag shows at the bars, um, which is a little frustrating. Grace and Ashley agrees. I think that kids aren't able to express themselves that as, as often as most adults are. It makes events like these all the more impactful to show LGBTQ plus youth and do know that there is room for them, they said. There are more Pride events planned for this month in Juneau, and some are all ages, but the Zach Gordon Youth Center's party is the only event that caters to youth alone. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry. I'm Peter Apathy, and this has been Raven News.